Hey, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer based in New York City. I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actor and producer also living in New York City. And we are Positive Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with artists from all disciplines about how they got their start, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in the entertainment industry. We speak with artists based in New York, L.A., and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to share their experiences and talk about their work. We hope that our listeners will enjoy the insights, stories, and perspectives from a diverse group of artists from all sides of the industry. Thanks for listening. Katha Gentis is a writer, director, and producer. Her film and TV credits include And Then Came Love, The Other F Word, Bad Parents, and Pooling to Paradise. In this conversation, we chatted about Katha's play called Sex Work, Sex Play, which will have its off-Broadway world premiere at the Tada Theater on September 13th. We also talked about the inspiration for the play and the idea of destigmatizing sex work. We also loved hearing Katha's story of how she became an independent filmmaker and its challenges. Katha has some great advice for artists, including, you're a producer until someone takes that job away from you. You have to do the hustle. We know you'll be inspired hearing Katha's stories and insights. Happy listening. Welcome, Katha. Thank you. Nice to be here. (laughs) Welcome to you guys. (laughs) Thank you. We're so excited to chat with you tonight. And I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I love the theme and, you know, the the things you do. So excited to dig into it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So our first question for you is, what is currently inspiring you? Well, what's inspiring me, I guess, if we're going to stay like super on point, is that I have my, I've done a whole bunch of films, but I have my first play that's going to be off Broadway in September. And in terms of inspiring me, meaning like this is the first thing, because as an independent filmmaker, I typically produce the stuff I write. So it's really exciting to have a work of mine that a theater company is producing and it's really, it's, that's what's inspiring me. That's incredible. And this is sex work, sex play. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. I'm so curious, what inspired you to write a play to kind of go move away from filmmaking for a moment? Well, I mean, I, you know, and I think as storytellers, like, I let the medium direct me because I had done another play um, like about 10 years ago that, um, and so, but honestly, you know, which is partly what we're dealing with in the strike space. I I mean, independent film, I was finding there's a lot of challenges. It was a lot easier to do independent film, um, you know, 10 and 15 years ago. And now like just the market has changed. It's so hard to, to be successful. And so, um, I, you know, can get a little bit into the genesis of the story, but when I went to do it as a full piece, I just was like, you know what, first of all, it felt like I, I would have more fun exploring it as a play, but I kept saying to myself, don't make it a movie, don't make it a movie, make it a play, make it a play, don't make it a movie. So, um, just cause I did find, I did a film, uh, right before the pandemic started and released then. And it just, You know, like I said, I was just finding that independent film really um, is is a bit broken right now. Hmm. I'm curious if you could expand on that a little. On the brokenness of independent film? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. um, Well, I mean, I just think, you know, I mean, it it kind of piggybacks on some of these other things. But, I mean, it really is... um, you know, uh, the, the ways you recoup an independent film has just gotten harder and harder. And um, like, again, when I made my first film, you, um, you know, you had DVD, you had TV, you had, you had like premium television and cable, like you had all these places and, you know, mo- you know, those things have, you know, and that was my first film. And then the second film, some of those markets and there were all these split rights, 
but the light, the fees kept being less and less. Mm-hmm. And then now it's really, you know, again, the similar challenges is really the only game in town is streaming. And as an independent filmmaker, I mean, you're at the mercy, you know, it's very hard to get any sort of minimum guarantee. And then it's also very hard to get distributors to pay you. It's very hard to find an honest sales agent and it's really hard to find an audience. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, you know, those are some of the challenges. And, you know, I think there's um, people that are starting you know, I mean, before this strike, but people are really starting to take note that this is, it's really hard. And and there really are, sadly, um, distributors that aren't honest in their reporting and very slow to pay, even when you get money mm-hmm. and foreign sales. Because I tend to do a comedy kind of mm-hmm. character driven, heightened reality, contemporary comedies. And those are really hard to sell overseas. And, and that really, my first film was a romantic comedy and those do do well overseas. Um, but, you know, you really start realizing the U.S. is just one market. And, um, you know, and that's why, you know, you see tentpole movies. That's why things like horror do well, because they don't really rely on cultural expectations and can translate easily mm. and are more, like action films. You know, they're more of a visual medium than script, like word medium. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's made me think a lot too, just in the news that's come out in the past couple of days about this interim agreement with the strikes yeah. and indie film productions and kind of all the confusion around it. Right. You know, it's going to be good. Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of, I mean, I, you know, I get it because, I mean, in the screen, you know, the Writers Guild isn't really agreeing to this, but, you know, I think, you know, the Screen Actors Guild wants people to write, but ultimately you're going to be dealing with these distributors that they're in fights with. So they're real, I'm like, kind of like, all right, you have an independent filmmaker signing an agreement. And I guess, was it a, um, a 24, like they did agree. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're ever going to deal with the streamers, which is where everybody is, you're going to run into this. But I I guess they're hoping by the time these movies are made, the strike will be so. But it's just hard. I mean, I have friends who work at like post-production and other parts, you know, versus the actual filmmakers. And it's before the strike and even after the pandemic, it's really been slowing down because it's just, you know, people are finding it just harder and harder um, to, you know, pay your investors back. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But to what you're about, I just was like, at the end of the day, the positive thing is as a writer, like you, you still can tell stories and maybe, and that was ultimately, I'm like, okay, you know, I, and I've made four features by the way. So I've really have seen this over time and I've had success and I've dealt with name actors like, I know how to make pack a lot of, you know, but like stuff into a small budget, typically by doing most of the jobs myself. Um, But, you know, I've worked, you know, like I said, I've worked with um, like people like Janine Garofalo and Judy Gold and, you know, Vanessa Williams and Eartha Kitt. So I, you know, I'm at a still in a small budget feature, but at least with some name people. But anyway, I just was like, okay, well, they can't take, um, you know, I can still be a storyteller. And so that was to going full circle when I was, oh, I have this story I want to tell. And I thought, oh, it could, it could be a pilot. It could be a film, but I'm like, no, I, I, and I do love theater. I mean, it wasn't, um, as a consolation, I've always, always loved theater. Um, in some ways I've always been slightly intimidated by playwriting versus screenwriting, you know, just, Um, But the whole theater experience where you have an audience, where you get to really work much closer with the actors that they, you know, through this rehearsal, they have this discovery. Uh, And I do think while there's not really money in theater, I think it people like I think it's still more noble. And I think since most of the models are nonprofit is this understanding that it's kind of an art for art's sake kind of um, medium so, you know, and it is, you know, a lot of 
writers uh, go back between those mediums. So it was really, really fun. And again, for me, like, you know, given my background and whatever, um, I was like, oh, you know, I can be an emerging playwright at this stage and how exciting that is. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about still being able to be a storyteller. I think that is really important. It doesn't matter what's going on with the strike or the pandemic or the industry. If you have a story to tell, nobody can take that away from you. You will find a way to tell it. And yes, as a writer, I think that there is a lot of power in being able to write for different mediums. And something that maybe you will agree with, that I feel like I've discovered over the years is that all storytelling is kind of the same. I figured this out when I was teaching a children's book writing class and I was trying to teach very simply in 20 minutes, there's a beginning, a middle and an end, a protagonist and an antagonist. And the protagonist has to have a really strong goal. And I was like, Oh, it's the same as writing a play. (laughs) Oh, it's the same as writing a pilot and a film. And, and it's just, So that was sort of a tangent, but I think it's really nice to know that if you have something to share, that it it can find different formats. And um, I've read a little bit of Sex Work, Sex Play. I haven't read the whole thing, but what I read was very, very impressive. Where'd you find it? Like, the, I interrupted you. On, on equity for the EPA. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, and... I will say you are not an emerging playwright. You are a very, very yeah. skilled, like clearly professional playwright. Oh, that's what I meant. I meant like this is my first play off Broadway. Yes. That's what I meant. Yes, fair. Um, but it's so good. And I guess that sort of just brings us to, um, you know, what inspired you to write on this topic? Well, yeah. So this, you know, and I guess, you know, for what we're – so. You know, going back, like during the pandemic um, and to this theme, which was amazing, is we, many artists found ways to create art during the pandemic and find audiences. And that was what was so, I think, um, inspirational uh, about that time where you saw how different people did that. And so anyway, a friend of mine had a theater company and he reached out to me, a small theater company goes, Keitha, you know what, what I want to do is connect an actor and a playwright, and I'm going to give them prompts. And the playwright is going to write a monologue for that actor. And what I'm going to do is, you know, he, I mean, he called them shorts or whatever, but what he did was the actor would perform the monologue, whatever the setting was, he would send the actor green screen. You know, he said, you know, put the green screen. No, he said, put up, you know, the green screen. I will create a backdrop. So when you do the, you know, when you record it on zoom, then I'll drop in the backdrop. And so, and it was, so anyway, I did, he asked me and I was um, paired with an actor and he was doing all these prompts. And he said to the guy, if you could be anything, you wanted to, you know, anything or anybody, what would you be? And he jokingly said, a porn star. And, you know, at, totally as a joke, um, you know, like then, like, no, 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 no. And then it just got me thinking. So um, so I wrote him a monologue that, and again, like I like to put humor into it. So I had this, the, the setting was a barber shop. And this actually was the inspiration of the play. This does not take place in the play, but... I had him at a barber shop, um, getting super nervous, getting ready for a date. So we don't know anything about this guy. He's all we know is he's going on a date. He's getting a, a shave and a haircut, and he's nervous. And he's talking about this girl, and he's met her on, you know, a dating app, and looking to find romantic love, and you know, and how he hasn't made love in you know forever, and yada yada yada. So then, and then he, you know, he reveals over the monologue that he's an actor and then he's like oh what have I been in and then you realize he's a porn actor so that was the punchline because and but to me as the writer what inspired it I was like you know what 
romantic love ha- is as idealized as sex, like in in this, especially in you know the internet world and the social media world. Like romance has been elevated to a very unrealistic level. And then I was saying the same way sex is, you know, at this unrealistic level in pornography. So that was just, I was like, oh, you know, this little, like a little bit of, that was funny. And I was like, you know, the story isn't done. I kind of wanted to have this male sex worker kind of looking for romantic love. So that was just kind of the challenge. And then I was like, well, what would be the antithesis? So, you know, you need the foil, like, okay, he's, idealistic, looking for romantic love. Who's somebody down on love? I'm like, oh, like, you know, like a, like an early 50s divorced mother, like single mom is the person who like basically has given up on love. So, and I'm just, and all my stories ultimately come to a mother at the center because, you know, they talk about the male gaze. I feel like I write from the mother gaze. So, all of a sudden I had this divorced mother and I was thinking, okay, I knew so many women who've been, how hard it is to date in today's world when everything's a swipe away. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we swipe on apps, we swipe on Amazon and everything was like, seemed very transactional. Then meanwhile, I was like, okay, so I have this mother and then she's got to meet this guy. And I was trying to create this world. And then all of a sudden my ears and eyes are open to this sort of space. And I was with my softball team and we came a crunch of like Gen Z girls who were all giggling and talking about sugar dating. And so this girl on my team, she goes, Oh no, it's very popular with girls in college. These young women in college that, you know, doing transactional dating and, you know, the whole seeking arrangement space. And I was like, huh? So then I was just like, okay, I wanted to put all of this into kind of a farcical like play about how complicated dating and love and sex and connection is in our very internet pervasive times. And also I wanted to put these things up with no judgment. Like I really, you know, because porn is so available, there's like, you know, everybody's like, you know, Everybody's just, you know, there's so many people on these apps and and all generations, I thought, were struggling with this to meet people. It wasn't exclusively like older women, like younger men and younger. Everybody's struggling to find connection Mm -hmm. in this disconnected times. So anyway, that's how I created my world. And then when you deep dive into it in the research, which, you know, is the fun part where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of writing a sex comedy and I'm. Like so, and then when I would meet people of all ages, what are you writing about? I'm writing about sex. Oh, okay. Can you, you know? So I got a lot of good information, <laughs> which is really fun because people know me. They like, you know, are pretty open, and so you know that was kind of the world. And I would say I would describe it as kind of like crazy, stupid love or love actually mm-hmm. in you know in today's times because ultimately these people are interconnected, but we don't know why, you know, these disconnected that, you know, how all those stories, you come to that big meeting Mm -hmm. at the end. And then also ultimately, you know, like I said, it's spicy as well as sweet, you know, so, so that's, that's what it is. It's a contemporary look at dating and relationships in our, you know, because it deals with, you know, pornography, like I said, and different kinds of sex work and, and finding, you know, finding somebody and reclaiming what you might have once had. <laughs> that sounds absolutely amazing. I'm like, when I come out, it's to very this, funny. <laughs> I, yeah, love love comedy always. Sex yes. comedy, especially intriguing. I love what you said about writing from a mother's gaze. That's just kind of s- stuck with me, um, uh. and it's just so rare, sadly, that we we get stories from that gaze. Uh, and especially theater, I don't know, film as well. But I think that's just very cool to, to hear. Well, Laura, you just led me into it because that ha- that's why I said, like, and I said I did another play. Like, that is the challenges, you know, I faced as a storyteller because um, it, it, it they're hard stories to tell, and especially by women because, you know, I feel like until Judd Apatow got into the romantic comedy genre with things like Wedding Crashers, like they kind of were really, you know, 
dying as a genre. But um, but yeah, no, my last play, which was called the play was called It's All About the Kids and it became a film called Bad Parents. Mm -hmm. It won a playwriting contest like, you know, like 10 or 12 years ago. It was kind of an existential Beckett, uh, Edward Albee kind of comedy. I mean, dark black comedy about contemporary sports parenting. You know, it was about, it was the men and the women about this U8 girl, a crazy over the top U8 girls soccer team. And um, I was trying to understand why parents were like, so living vicariously through their kids and why this stuff mattered. And mm. I read Machiavelli and, and stuff like that. In any case, it was so successful it did really well. And this woman was like, I'm going to bring it to New York. You know, I'm going to move because it won a contest in New Jersey. And people would say, nope, parents are too busy to go to plays. They, they parents, you know, they're the, they don't buy, they don't go buy theater tickets. They're too busy. And, you know, I ran into a lot of, um, you know, I've run into that in a lot of my storytelling. And when I was, did research on another project, Bad Moms, first of all, which was written by two men, hmm. um, was so hard to get made. It it was so hard because they were like, mothers are too busy to go to the movie theater. We can't make movies for mothers because they're too busy. And then they have to hire a babysitter and all that other stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, information out there that is not always helpful to people. Yeah. So anyway, that was some of the challenges I ran into in my storytelling <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That's frustrating. But you did it anyway. Like, Yeah, no, I persevered and I've had really good relationships with audiences. Sometimes critics don't get it because, you know, a lot of times reviewers are men too. But uh, and they're like, I don't get this. But anyway, but yeah, so this is kind of yeah. Like, so I have like in this play, there's like the divorced mother, her college, like it's multi-generational, her college age daughter. I have a suburban couple because suburbia seems to come into my writing a lot because I know that world, even though I live on the Upper West Side now, <laughs> um, you know, a husband and wife. And then our really like our sex worker with the heart of gold, <laughs> our male sex worker, who's also a personal trainer. Because I also oh, that was the other thing, just piggybacking on it, which was going on at this time of research was this rise of OnlyFans. Mm. I just was like finding all of this fascinating and that was the thing about OnlyFans was I mean it's also similar to what we're all doing it's it was a direct-to-consumer model and we're in this direct-to-consumer space where I mean you know you're sort of cutting out the gatekeepers but this is how you're you know people are making money and that but I found what was interesting about OnlyFans was just it was it was that you these um people who had accounts had direct relationship with their, you know, it's similar to Patreon, but it's like, you have, you know, it is, it's like, I would like to see your feet and you're like, okay. And they're like, those feet are nice. And I'm like, now you have a connection, you know, cause that's why I was looking at this whole connection business where when you would watch, you know, and again, maybe you're into foot fetishes and on Pornhub you put in foot fetishes, but there's no connection to the person and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, we've broken down a barrier and huh. as well as created another weird relationship when we're dating on apps and we're connecting with people on OnlyFans, another app. And we're finding through things like seeking arrangements, which is a very delineated form. It is an arrangement. And that's where like whatever people feel about it it is very spelled out what's going to happen on this date. You know, it's not, and for a lot of it's, so it's a, it's a fascinating space on, in our transactional world. Yeah. So this is, wow. this is what, what inspires me. Wow. That's a lot. And just, yeah. I think it's very cool. I love hearing the backstory of how it, how it's all kind of come to be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's currently running off-Broadway? Yeah, it'll be off-Broadway at the 28th Street Theater, which is a newly branded. Tada is 
is the place if anybody's done children's theater, but Emerging Artist Theater is producing it. And Emerging Artist for 30 years has been doing um, these new work series, which is just a great way for playwrights to get, you know, start developing new works. And for their 30th anniversary, they took three plays that came out of their new work series and are launching them in rep for two months. So it'll be mm-hmm. September and October um, on twenty at this 28th Street Theater, which is 112, which is like between 5th and 6th. So it's pretty easy to get through Subway-wise, which is good. Nice. Yeah, that's incredible. I definitely want to check it out. I think it's so interesting and cool that you're exploring this world through the lens of connection. And something that I'm excited about is being introduced to this world. I think that that's such a cool gift that a writer has. I'll never forget, we had an amazing playwright on our podcast in one of the earlier seasons, Harrison David Rivers. And he talked about introducing audiences to a world and that once they see and experience this universe, they can't unsee it and unexperience it. And these things that you're talking about, I think it's really exciting to actually, you know, see something that's so well-researched and so non-judgmental and so informational, but full of heart and humanity. And yeah, just like, like, I, I'm really looking forward to being introduced to this space that I don't really, really know anything about. Same. Well, you will at the end, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, and it's packed, it's super tight. Cause I feel like I just scratched the surface, but, um, Oh, wait, I just, Oh, the other thing that was when you talk, like it was about connection, but what always does feed into like the themes is feminism Mm. because um, you know, now in our little living in our Barbie world, but no, um, (laughs) but not, and again, it's not about the patriarchy, but it's about like, to me, I wanted to also, because like agency, that term agency um, really is this sort of theme. And to me, it's like, I wanted to, look at you know each like each generation interprets feminism differently than within the generation there are different takes and that was important to me especially between the mother and the daughter how they re- how they relate to each other because the mother's gen x and the daughter's like gen z and mm-hmm. and again I, so that kind of was important to me especially when we're talking about you know, being a sugar baby, being somebody that's on OnlyFans and even in pornography where there is this whole um, ethical porn space and also, you know, people really that are trying to make it legalized porn. I mean, not legalized porn, legalized prostitution. Mm. Porn is legal. But, um, But from a very feminist lens of this is, you know, on protecting women and also consent that thing, things that are consensual. And that's why I said, like to me in the seeking arrangement, it is consensual. And so, yeah, we can have judgment and what is, you know, on these things, but at the end of the day, like it's, um, you know, is having that kind of control over your body and your choices. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool that you've, really, through writing this play, been able to examine all those different points of view and that for audience members also to go through that journey and maybe some of the stigma around it all will be hopefully lifted a little bit, just being able to consider, oh, wow, I never considered um, sugar, what is it, sugar daddy and that way or whatever, you know? Just well, like sugar dating. Sugar so, dating. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm yeah. definitely not Gen Z, as you can tell. I don't think <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> I know, you guys are millennials. So. Yes, definitely millennials. <laughs> um, I feel like the millennials Gen X sort of blend into each other. Because I think millennials are like, we were like this kind of cool generation, but then those guys came along. Right, yeah. precisely, precisely. Yes, I was. We care, but Gen Z seems to care a lot. About exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. So anyway, what else? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the first question. <laughs> that was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I love it. So, wait, so maybe taking it back in time a little bit, we'd love to hear your story. How did you get into becoming a writer and director and then ultimately filmmaking in your own production company? Yeah, well, um, you know, going way back, I started writing in, I loved writing in like elementary school on up. And, you know, I went as an undergrad to Syracuse. I was in the new ho- new house program. And then I was like, because I was I was always a writer. I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I love film. I mean, I always did love theater and I liked movies and stuff. But I was like, oh, screenwriting that scene, because I'm not. And this is like in the negative. So like I'm not like a super like read a million books like type of person because I'm an extrovert (laughs) and I don't like I'm like oh I'm just gonna go sit home on a Sunday and read but um which goes into my storytelling because I'm like I get it all from people but um so anyway yeah so I was a film major and then I worked in the movie business out of college I started kind of as a literary agent because I'm like I want to be a screenwriter and I was like okay when you're and I guess like again I was always seeing that sales was also storytelling and I'm outgoing. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I can't just graduate college and write scripts. And especially back then it was like, no, you need a job. So I started kind of as a literary agent and then worked in development. And then I got an MFA in screenwriting at UCLA. So that's what brought me more or less to California and also I was married. I got married young and I met my husband in college. And then, and then it was, I was like doing well. I was on this great track after um, starting to have some success. And then I had a baby <laughs> and I was like, Oh wait, writing and a newborn doesn't really go together. <laughs> so, um, you know, unless you can afford to have somebody, you know, and I was like in my like early thirties at the time. It was like, oh, it's not like oh, we can afford this nanny, kind of, so I could sit home and like write spec scripts. So um, relatable. <laughs> so, so I started working, and I started selling greeting cards actually, because I and the move. And honestly, like I was in in LA, and I was getting very overwhelmed by the movie business and I know you're in LA Lauren but like it's pretty intense like as an artist in Los Angeles to not feel like you've got to sell your soul or become a zombie like I do feel like people like there's this pull to make you into like to get this become a zombie to the industry so um, and it just is intense because I feel like it makes because every you know especially when you're in that world, it seems like, like, because I would joke in New York, like you go to your, you go to a restaurant and your wait person, you're like, oh, are you an actor? And they're like, oh yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. Tell me all about that. Like, and you want to hear it and you want to support that. I'm like, oh, what are you into any actor that you meet at a, at a restaurant in Los Angeles? It's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> like, oh, my God. oh, I'm an actor. Ugh. You know, that's the response. Not only is your waiter an actor, but like everybody, the person that washing your car, like your your rabbi is an actor, like no joke. There's no, there's nothing cute about it where I think it's cute and precious. Like people think in New York where there, it's just like, Oh, please. But um, so anyway, I got out of the business thinking, I'll just put a pin in that and um, sold greeting cards and had some fun doing that, putting cards into car washes in like the South Bay. And then we moved back East and then I kind of put all that in the back burner. And then all of a sudden my kids were getting older and I'm like, okay, you know, what I would, I would say is like the creative beast inside of me, like woke up and she's like, whoa, like rattling. You got, you got to be creative again. You got to find. So anyway, I started writing again and then all like the cool people that I was friends with that were now running studios. They're like, who, who's calling? So you, that was 10 years ago. And I used to joke that basically, um, you know, it, it's like dog years. So if you've been out of the business 10 years, it's like 70 years. So mm-hmm. um, they were, so I, had a good script 
and I was working with a writing, you know, coach and, and it sort of had gotten option for like 10 seconds and then nothing happened. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll write another one. She's like, no, this is too good. And so that was when independent film was like really in its heyday. And I'm like, oh, well, it's good. And again, that was actually Vanessa Williams and Eartha Kitt was, it was about a donor inseminated single mom and it was a cute little premise and, and original and, um, so Vanessa Williams was kind of in between projects and she's like, oh, I'd love to do this. And her agent's like, well, good luck. <laughs> We're not going to help you. I'm like, Aww. wait. <laughs> so anyway, even though the like, script got a recommend from ICM. So anyway, then I start, you know, everybody in suburbia just knew me as this sort of sports mom, soccer mom. I'm like, I'm making a movie. And kind of pulled it all together. It was like the scariest thing I ever did and made this film, um, you know, with Vanessa Williams and Eartha Kid and Ben Vereen. Like I was able to pull this really interesting cast, did colorblind casting before it was in vogue. I just thought, oh, Vanessa Williams as a single mom, you know, that was, that's an interesting choice. And we both went to Syracuse. So anyway, made that movie got a deal with Warner Brothers, you know, in one of their independent divisions. And it did, it did very well. And then I was like, I'm back. And like, nobody cared. <laughs> so, so it was a bit of a crash. And then I kept doing it. And like, in all that, like, that's why I say, like, I'm an emerging, right? Like, I mean, I did four, I had to deal with Warner Brothers that play became, everybody's like, you should make it into a movie. I'm like, no, it's a play. They're like, no, it's a movie. I'm like, no, it's a play. We'll invest if it's a movie. Okay. So, and I made that film and it's been on, you know, every major platform. It was, you know, like, again, it was an angsty mom. People weren't doing that yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I still like, I've never had an agent, <laughs> never had a manager. Wow. Nobody ever was like, what are you doing next? So, um, so yeah, so I'm like kind of that that's my journey, but you know, you keep doing it. I did this web series where I ran into other hurdles <laughs> so of deal, dealing with empty nesting and turning 50 and people are like, "No, no, 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 we don't talk about that in Hollywood." So, so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would say this is a very unique story. The fact that you, you hustled and did all of this on your own is kind of blowing my mind. You know, usually like guests we talk to on this podcast are like, oh yeah, I entered the business. I, you know, eventually found a rep, you know, did something, maybe something didn't happen for a while. Then my, you know, this came like, but you literally did it on your own through like connections, you know, that you made maybe through Syracuse and other people believing in your work, but that just kind of blows. No, I mean, it was pretty mind. much on my own. Like, cause it was like my mutual friend from suburbia, like was like, Oh, you know, I'm good friends with Vanessa. Do you want, like, it was like not through industry. It was like through. Yeah. Back stuff. That's what's so inspiring about it. Like, I, I think that's absolutely. More crazy. <laughs> a yeah. Crazy genius. <laughs> No, you know, I think that that's so inspiring because there are so many roadblocks in this industry in terms of gatekeepers, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, with YouTube and social media, that has definitely changed a lot. But, you know, there are still the gatekeepers and you were making this work in a time when kind of all of the, the gatekeepers had kind of all of the power and yet you still did it. Like Lauren said, like it's, it's mind blowing. It's so cool. And I mean, how many times have I complained offline to you, Lauren, about not being able to get certain things off the ground because I don't have rep and how frustrating that is. And it's, I, I'm right. It's true. But I think that I am not alone in that sentiment and our listeners hearing that you did all of this and accomplished all of this on your own with no representation and no like significant um, 
I don't know the word, but like significant backing from a large organization is really, really, really impressive and incredible and inspiring and um, definitely makes me want to take a step back and say, why am I, why am I putting up roadblocks? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, and that's what I said. Like, I mean, in the pro, I mean, I tell everybody you're a producer until somebody takes that job away from you. Um, And that, you know, it's every, you know, whatever your job is, you've got to do the hustle because, you know, I've done different speaking engagements over the world. And like, there's two things. The thing I said is the only person who cares is you. Like, again, when you're like, you know, can be like angry, you're like, yeah, but guess what? If you the next day go, I give up, nobody's going to miss you and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. But I don't mean that in a defeated way. It means like, that's why you just have to make it happen. And because you, you know, and that's what I'm saying is if you have the creative beast inside of you, you have to feed her and find a way. And that's where, like, especially when I talk to, you know, young, I mean, I would do, I do it too. Like, you know, this, your iPhone is a camera. Like you can make movies. And especially because I got in the web series space, like that, that project I was telling you about, um, which was my like empty nester project web series were super popular. And that was this way. And that was very much of your generation where it was like, if you had YouTube and then I got did the Amazon thing, which was popular for 10 seconds. I mean, there was a way that you could make content inexpensively, inexpensively and find an audience. And that's, like that's, it's just the realities. And that's where it is like you, it's the old days where people are going to do the work for you just don't exist. And the more skills you master, like the more control you have, like, and, and that's where like things with you guys with like podcasts and, and all these different mediums are available. And you, you know, I'm sure you guys taught yourself how to do this. Or, you know, maybe you advised with somebody, you know, and you're like, no, I, we want to do this. We're going to make it happen. We're going to build an audience. And then, you know, hopefully at some point it brings money. <laughs> yes, that's that's part two of this project. Yeah. <laughs> that's but yeah, totally, totally. That's right. I love that about adding producer to your title. Yeah, uh, yeah recently, it just made me think about on the, the first day of the strikes that happened here in L.A., there were so many people out and there were so many reporters kind of trying to capture the first day of the strike. And uh, I told my friend I was with, I was like, we're going to get interviewed. I can just feel it. There's so many people. And like, lo and behold, somebody came up. She was like, I want to interview you guys. She was like, so tell me your names and what do you do? Like, what's your role in the industry? And I introduced myself as I said, Lauren Schaffel, I'm an actor and producer, which still, which felt weird coming out of my mouth. But the past year, like, yeah, between the podcast, reading series, other projects, short film stuff. I was like, yeah, that's part of what I do. I was like, please don't ask me what I produce. Don't ask me because you're not going to know any of it. But just, you know what? And it made it into the segment. It said actor and producer. And I felt super cool about it. But that is, it's so important because, you know, then you can make your destiny. <laughs> right. Truth. Yeah, for Truth. sure. For sure. And I appreciate what you were saying at the beginning of the episode where you were talking about the challenges in indie filmmaking, because I think that's very real. And it is so easy for us to sit here and say how important it is to create your own stuff and make your own work and be a producer and all of that. But it's it's a lot harder to deal with the actual complexities and challenges that come with that. So I think that the you know, it, it's all to say that, yes, we we need to be doing this and we need to be producing our own work and getting ourselves out there, but it isn't easy. No, and it's not. And I, like, again, I think it's going through some serious growing pains now, but that's where I feel like, yeah, maybe long films, but short films are great ways. And, you know, and there's, lots of ways to get it out. And I, and I do think it's really like do it is the research. And that's mm-hmm. where what I also say a lot, like the script and everything you do in pre-production, 
like you only get like you that's where the hard work happens it's like okay who is the audience and how am i going to reach them because i just feel like you nobody can make things like just say oh it's for like and that's where like with stand up comedy with playwrights like okay who's the audience how am i going to get them and like just because, you know, even though I sing other people are producing the play, like the part of me, I'm like, I need to fill seats because it, you know, for the actors who are making, putting all their time into it, they need an audience. I mean, besides me, but I also really am like, oh, these poor actors are going to work so hard. I need to make, but I was just like, okay. Um, so I worked a deal out. I mean, I, I was like, okay, I want to find like a dating. I want to do a singles night. Cause my friend who's single, she goes, you know, Kate, that's really in dating, you know, you go, you know, you meet people on these apps or you meet them some way and you like first dates are like so challenging. Like, what are we going to do? And you don't want it to feel like an interview. And she goes, Oh, if you had like a singles night for your play, like that's a fun thing to do. And, you know, to then you can go talk about it after. And that gives you something on your date to talk mm -hmm. about. So she goes, Oh, that would be a great date. So let's find it. You know, she, she's like, you should find. So anyway, I was looking around at all these dating apps and I came across one called Talkify, which is more of a matchmaking app, or it's actually a website. It's not an app yet. And so I was like, oh, that's perfect because actually, you know, I kind of poke some fun, but I'm like, matchmaking is a little bit of a different model because they're sort of curating the people a little bit. And so I linked in with like, oh, this is the head of, of, of the app, I link in with it. I'm like, okay, I'm sending, you know, a cold call e email on LinkedIn. The next day, somebody from New York, because it was in San Francisco, gets back to me and goes, oh, and also I'm trying not to, he goes, your sex play. I'm like, okay, so I'm like, also like, okay, this is an awkward <laughs> call. Like, my sex work, sex play, we're looking for a partnership deal. I'm like, my, I got to put like off Broadway play. Oh my God. So in any case, like, we just closed a deal with Talkify that they're going to bring in a like kind of, you know, like celebrity of some sort, like a reality star celebrity and and do a wine and cheese after it. I mean, I have to come up with 100 singles, but I'm like, oh, I could come up with 100 singles. So and, you know, but they're you know, we'd have a partnership with them. And so I'm like, oh, great. Now, like we have this singles night like that's just something fun way to get an audience like to see this play so you know that's why i feel like however when we are artists to think of ways to get audiences or get attention you know the more you do that the more you know you can keep it going <laughs> how love creative that. and yeah. fun and cool that's incredible i love that thinking outside the box and that's amazing so if you have any friends, single friends in New York, need guys. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I definitely know a lot of women. Guys are Well, women are fine. Guys. I'm just being nice to the women friends. Yeah. But, like, I just need 100. I have a couple single guy friends. Yeah. Actually, in your, like, the 30-somethings, I have a lot of single guy friends in the Ooh. 30s, too. So I'm like, they're all like, we'll come, we'll come. I'm like, okay. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So. I feel tickets like, will be discounted because we have like the you know the you know the partnership so nice. so it's twenty like normally the tickets fifty nine so twenty five dollars you get wine and cheese meet a celebrity see a play and yeah. get a free membership to Talkify hell yeah <laughs> so, fun that's so cool yeah so Ooh. that's my commercial <laughs> so smart so cool. Well, I want to be mindful because we're coming up close to our time, but I did have a last question for you, which is your production company. So how did that come about? How did you form that? Oh, I mean, a company of one. Right. But like, <laughs> you meant like official title, like how? Well, it's my elementary school. Because like I said, I was very creative um, in elementary school, so Fox Meadow is my elementary school. So I named it after that. And, you know, it was like you kind of elevate yourself. I'm like, oh, I don't want to just have a Gmail. I want to have like a production company. So, but yeah, I would get all these like, oh, you know, do, 
during the pandemic, all your employees that were out, I'm like, you're doing production, you're hiring people to work on your projects. Right. So. And then of course, every movie needs to be its own LLC anyway. But, gotcha. So, but yeah, so that there's, it's not that exciting a story other than a little bit smoke and mirrors. <laughs> No, I think that's inspiring for our listeners to hear too, though, because we hear a lot about like, ooh, forming a production company. What is that? How do you do it? And it's, I think it's helpful for people to know, hey, it's not actually that complicated. Just Oh, yeah. You just get an LLC. You you do need, like, I mean, it is important to be, in, you know, to get the LLC, um, right. whatever that is, partnership to kind of have some protection and you know, and then make it a real business. And I think for writing stuff off in theory, it's better. And then, you know, you have like a small business account and stuff. So. Right, 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 right. Yes, but no no one else, it's just you. You don't have like assistants or people who <laughs> I sometimes do. I mean, I sometimes do. Okay. I mean, I, I've had, and, and actually, yeah, I've had um, assistants, you know, during project, like when I'm in production and like, yeah, so I, I do have people, and I, I'm really good at mentoring younger people. Oh, my God, now the lights really went out. Um, <laughs> it was like, for listeners who can't see, Kate just went in darkness. She's back. I enjoy mentoring younger people. So, I mean, obviously, when you're in production, you have a whole staff of people like that. But when you're writing, you're sort of on your own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow, fascinating. Cool and inspiring. <laughs> a, a friend of mine, we're starting a production company. It's called LMC Productions. People oh. are like, what's LMC? And truthfully, it's Lee's Masterclass, which is where we oh. met through the Barrow Group and a woman named oh, yeah, Lee yeah, Brock's Masterclass. So nobody nobody needs to know what LMC stands for. They, only if they ask. Yeah, but I mean, I think you guys have a partnership on this and having that, like, it is so amazing when you can find a compatible partner because it's, I mean, I've had producing partners on projects, but that it it can be being an entrepreneur is kind of lonely and it's Mm. really nice. And it's also, you're dealing with a lot of rejection always. And it's nice to have somebody um, to have a partner. So I, I applaud the two of you for, you know, on my podcast, when I interview, you can tell me your whole yeah. background. You guys met each other. Let's speak that into the universe. Let's make that happen for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I will just say one last thing on this, that I've had other producing partners and it's made me realize what a dream of a partnership it is, me and Lauren are. I'm like, oh, it could be like this. Because, yeah, Lauren is just an amazing, amazing collaborator and we work so well together and we're on season five of this podcast and it's not always like that, as you know. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. It's been so interesting and inspiring to hear your story and about all of your projects. And I can't wait to see your play in the fall. And I just thank you for your time and your stories. An insight. And thank you so much for having me on your show today. Our pleasure. Everything Alyssa said, it's been so inspiring listening to your stories. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.